0: We're not trying to replace the clinician. We're trying to establish a presence of healthcare next to patients at the times when the clinicians are not there.
1: Welcome to Startup Health Now, the podcast celebrating the entrepreneurs and innovators reimagining the future of health. I'm Logan Plaster. A common idea in the startup world is that a company is a 10-year overnight success or a 20-year overnight success. The idea is that founders often labor for years and years on their mission, and then one day, something happens. It creates an inflection point. Suddenly, the market shifts, customers change, and everyone is paying attention. To the world, it was a meteoric rise, but the founder knows the truth. Our guest today is telemedicine pioneer Roy Schoenberg, the co-CEO and president of Amwell, COVID-19 was an absolute game changer for telemedicine, amplifying adoption, and Amwell was right there to seize the momentum. But before COVID, Schoenberg and his team labored for 14 years, trying to bring the dream of telemedicine to reality. They learned a lot along the way, and we'll hear some of those lessons in this conversation between Roy and Unity Stokes, Startup Health's president and co-founder. The chat was held on stage at the Startup Health Festival, which occurred at Vive in Miami Beach in March. You'll hear Schoenberg's philosophy on health automation, why that shouldn't be a dirty word, and a bit on why they acquired Conversa Health, a startup health portfolio company that made its name building healthcare chatbots. Schoenberg also delivers some hard-won wisdom to today's healthcare entrepreneurs, like the fact that persistence is the name of the game. If you want to change health, he says, you have to be ready for the long fight. Here's Unity Stokes kicking off the conversation.
2: Dr. Roy Schoenberg, uh, come on up and join me on the stage here. Hi, everyone. How are you?
0: Great to see you. Very Thank great you. Great to
2: see you. So, um, CEO of Amwell, um, you know we are at an incredible moment, I think, in in history, specifically for for what you are doing at at Amwell um as really one of the leaders of, of kind of this this new world of of healthcare i i thought we'd start first with the vision of of amwell so people have a frame of reference here but maybe put that into the context of this moment what we've learned in the after covid world what you've learned because i think uh you've really been at the forefront of of serving the world in in so many ways for this moment we're in
0: First of all, I mean, thank you for pos- positioning it in such a positive way. I think we've been doing this for 16 years. Some people may say that we completely missed the timeline and it was too long, right? We should have showed up maybe 10 years later. But uh, we were fortunate enough to, to you know, be there for such a long period of time that uh, you know, we, we arrived at this ex- exactly, as you said, this moment in time where all of these technologies are beginning to deliver their ROI, to deliver the, the value that we we're supposed to do. Amwell um, was founded, you know, all of these millions of years ago, with the notion that we could, in theory, at least, use technology to broker healthcare clinician availability to where their skills can deliver value. Sometimes to patients, sometimes to other clinicians, sometimes to areas that are deprived or challenged, but that the that technology allows those services to travel into where they're needed in a much, much better way than setting up a building and staffing it and you know, well, how brick and mortar healthcare works. Um, and funnily enough, that vision hasn't changed, which in startup world, you always have to pivot and adapt and everything else and have you know, less ego and say, well, I'm going to do something a little bit different because the market tells me it's of more value. But that model, or that, that thinking around the fact that we can mobilize healthcare over technology um, remains, to this day, what drives Zambwa. I think the context of today, and, and the reason why this is such a, you know, really a remarkable moment to, to live in, is that it's not only that physicians or clinician services can now travel over technology, which is really the fundamentals of, of telehealth, it's that our receptivity as, as people, that more and more of our healthcare is gonna be rendered to us through technology, which is a much, much broader concept, is literally has just turned a corner because of COVID. And you, know, you, you mentioned things like automation and others, we are, you know, what, what we have seen in terms of telehealth momentum over the last two years, in my mind, is 1% of what we're going to see in the next decade. Yeah. It's nothing. We opened the door to a whole new world.
2: And you're really focusing on, I, I think, this, this concept of automating the care experience. And I, I really believe that's, that's the future. Um, and you, you have this extraordinary platform. Um, give us a sense of that vision and, and where, where you're going and, and where the world's going in that regard.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that, that pretty much everybody in the audience has a little bit of a kind of feeling when we say automating healthcare, because it just sounds wrong, right? When you are, it's so important to have the interaction with the clinician, which is reassuring in a lot of different ways. And auto, automation sounds like the wrong animal for, for healthcare. But I think we have to make a distinction between what usually people think about when they think of automation, which is trying to automate clinical decision making, replace the doctor. Symptom checkers are the, you know, the early days version of it, and there's other clinical decision support elements that are coming in. And everybody from, you know, from Watson, you know, IBM Watson, to small startups are trying to do a lot of, a lot of good in that area but this area is is complex for a lot of different reasons including patient resistance and physician resistance when we talk about automation we talk about something much much simpler mm. which is we're not trying to replace the clinician we're trying to establish a presence of healthcare next to patients at the times when the clinicians are not there which happens to be 99.999% of the time because when we're in front of a clinician we have that Ten-minute, oops, sorry, ten-minute experience that is usually rushed, and then we live as patients the rest of our lives without any clinician in front of us. Can and most healthcare of the world be
2: doesn't have a clinician?
0: <laughs> no question Even about that. in the United
2: that. States, I mean, the, 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 just the access, as you're saying, to clinicians. So how do
0: we bridge that gap? It That's the like- ocean, right? I mean, that is the ocean. That the moment that you cross the line and say, it's okay for some of my healthcare to be rendered to me without a clinician on the other end, even if it is prescribed by the clinician, even if it is driven by their guidance on how I should handle my daily reality when I'm at home dealing with chemotherapy, which is a really, really challenging reality, or I have a chronic condition and I'm, it's harder for me to leave the home and it, I'm elderly or, you know, or it's far away and, and a variety of other elements. Can healthcare set up shop next to me and it wasn't even part of the conversation two years ago mm-hmm. and now it is.
2: Yeah, you, uh, you've recently acquired one of our portfolio companies, Conversa. I know you you acquired uh, SilverCloud Health and really expanding your platform. And I, I think this concept of, of marrying technology and virtual care and telehealth with the power of the clinician is, is really fundamental. Maybe talk a little bit about um, how you're building that out and, the, and these integrations and, and your strategy there around acquisition of innovation, which I think You've really been leading the way there with with your platform
0: well, we've been incredibly, incredibly fortunate to be in a position to work together with Converse and Silver Cloud. I mean you know timing was wonderful, and the products that were championed by these two companies became became very real you know and and it was really the time to get together I think the the, the biggest change in direction there is that You know, there's a lot of companies that do or that provide products to help patients cope with various conditions, diabetes and heart failure and asthma and all of that kind of stuff. Many of these products and and nutrition, by the way, I mean, it goes the whole spectrum. And for them, for a long, long period of time, those products were communicated to patients as things that they should sign up for. Usually, it actually came from the employer. You know, the, the, the HR department would tell right. you there's a smoking cessation program and a weight management program, and we're gonna include it as a benefit, and pairs offered it as benefits. And uh, the secret that everybody here in the room is fully aware of is that the adoption of these programs isn't really up to snuff. I mean, a couple of percentage points. Not a lot of people use them, even if they're free, even if they're, they're delivered to them. And I think the biggest change that we're making with Converse and Silver Cloud, who offer great automated programs for patients on a variety of different areas, is that we're actually not putting it in the hands of consumers at all. Mm. We are putting those programs in the hands of the clinicians. Who are seeing the patients through telehealth, because that's where we live, that's what we do, but it really is the clinician who's seeing the patient in front of them that sees those available automated programs in their field of view and they can prescribe them, they can activate them for the patient that they're talking to. Mm. So, and literally, and at the conclusion of the telehealth visit, you know, they essentially hang up and the program comes to life and begins to interact with the patient with all of its flying colors. The programs are, are, are great, but it really is the fact that we have to accept that in healthcare, patients tend to do what their doctors tell them to do. It's that simple. So if all of these technologies can spring into life by the credibility of the clinician rather than the, you know, the, the proactiveness of the patient, we're actually going to be seeing those programs deliver much, much more than they used to. That positioning of invocation, that change in the way these technologies are called to action, I think is going to make a difference way more than one program or another.
2: Interesting. Um, You know, there's a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of builders, a lot of creators, innovators in in the audience and and who will watch this live streaming. not only you've been an entrepreneur your your, your whole career, um, as as well as a, a doctor. Um, you know, what would your advice be, um, both as an entrepreneur, but also from the perspective of, of Amwell, um, to the the early stage innovators today? What should they be focusing on? What should they be um, building? Um, from what you're seeing where, where the puck's going. And for maybe what you, you are interested in integrating into Amwill.
0: Yeah, I think this is, a, you know, it's a tough one because everybody agrees that if we do right by patients, we've done something right. You know, if you're introducing a capability, digital or otherwise, or a service that makes patients' lives better, then you know, who can fault you for doing that? The very, very unfortunate thing is that healthcare is unique, you know, different from any other industry in the sense that you know, the people that actually buy the services don't pay for it, patients. The people that render the service have no idea how much it costs, and the people that actually pay for the service are not in the room, the payers. So the whole structure of how value actually arrives to where it delivers delivers its punch is skewed beyond belief. We're not going to fix it anytime soon, but when you are building a solution, you really, really have to think about how will that solution align all of this skewed way of money flow to the point that it will. It will allow you to capture, you know, the payment or whatever it is that will in turn allow you to operate that solution. And it is, if you're walking into healthcare thinking it's a huge part, you know, of the GDP, it's such an amazing field where I can do a lot. And you say, well, if it's delivering value, it's going to work out. It's going to be very challenging for you. So you have to, you have to... um,
1: be embrace the, the twisted
0: way of how healthcare thinks hmm. to be successful in it. Which isn't a fun message, but it's true. Are, are you
2: optimistic or do you just think that that model will change or, or will evolve? Or do you think that's it's pretty much the reality? Uh, it's so entrenched um, and it's hard to see that, that topple in some... Significant way. Um, I know we hear about direct to consumer. We hear about changing business models. We hear about, but there is this reality of the the real flow, at least within the United States, um, on on this this model you talked about. That's very complex and confusing.
0: Yeah, we're hearing all the right messages, right? I mean, the whole discussion around you know value based care is, is really kind of the the header on top of the notion of the discretion on what to pay for is moving. It historically was just the health plans and now the clinicians have more to say about where to spend the money and patients have higher exposure through co-pays, which means that they make some decisions about where where money needs to be spent. But I don't think it's going to change dramatically over the next, you know, immediate period of time. And it comes back really to, to the audience here. If you are starting a company you really have to know what is the appetite for return of your backers. And I'm not suggesting that venture firms are worse than the other guy or whatever it is, but if the expectation is that you need to develop or you need to deliver return in the next three years in healthcare, then you need to build for the current framework. Right. And just part of life.
2: Well, yeah, I call this, there's kind of two innovation um, tracks happening in parallel. There's the incremental one where you've got to work within the system that's here, and then there's this leapfrog track over here. And if you're going down that track, it's got to be a long, long, uh, for, you know, outlook. Um, you know, you you started uh, many years ago. I mean, maybe talk about that journey um, because I think what's so significant is, is how many years you've been through it, but you, you stuck with it. Um, maybe share your wisdom um, on the value of persistence, uh, mindset, uh, You know, again, from the perspective of an entrepreneur and what it really takes to, to get there. In and, and so many ways, you're, you're just beginning in, in exciting ways, too, in this new world.
0: Um. I don't think that there is a single that there is a single recipe. But if you are, first of all, I think that persistence in healthcare is the name of the game. You you have to be ready for the long, you know, for the long road, for the long fight, um, and and that's okay. I actually think that you it, you really need to be passionate about something to be able to survive that length of time. And if you're not passionate, if you're just looking for a business model, maybe you're looking at yourself in the mirror and say. You know, I, I could have done something in finance, or I could have done something in retail. These two would probably be quicker than, than healthcare. But, um, but the, the one thing about healthcare that really helps you is that even though the system is so twisted, everybody in the system recognizes it to be so. Which means that you're not coming from, you know, from left field with a cuckoo idea that everybody rejects. Most people that run healthcare organizations have now acknowledged the fact that it needs to morph, it needs to modernize, it needs to change. So you're actually going to find more and more of a receptive audience in front of you as you suggest change or or an innovation. It won't change the time it's going to take them to implement, But there is a growing camaraderie, which really, really helps you along the way in saying you are representing the future. Uh, And I think that that sustained us for a long period of time. And, and, you know, who knew telehealth was a thing? So now it is. Um, But we had a lot of people in the industry along the way that believed that we're on the right track and reinforced us. Uh, And that is a... That is an incredible something that is unique to healthcare.
2: Well, to that to that point, and and I know a lot of your your customers are are here um, at this event. But what would your advice be to industry, to those who are looking to integrate innovation, whether it's telehealth, virtual care, automation, startups, um, who are trying to figure out for themselves how to innovate what would your wisdom be to to that part of the audience
0: so uh, <laughs> there are cameras here right yeah. so okay um, so i i know this can be completely taken <laughs> the wrong way by a lot of people but we are a service industry in many many cases especially if you're in clinical practice and whatever it is you don't really equate yourself to be a service provider uh, but we are a service industry not in some ways, not unlike restaurants and you know whatever else is a, is a service industry. Like it or not, down the line, people that deliver better service are gonna prevail. And service is not perceived in the eyes of the clinicians that know the practice of medicine. In the end, it is perceived by the service consumer. So when you think about the thrust behind innovation, at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, am I representing a much better experience to the end, to the end user, which is the, which is the patient? Or, by the way, or the clinician, if that's what you're creating. But it is all about, is the experience that I represent far superior to what exists today? And if the answer is yes, you're going to make a killing in healthcare.
2: That's what I love about leveraging technology in, in this experience because then people can then focus on where the real value is where the real relationship is where the real service is instead of the things that waste a lot of time that's exactly right
0: i mean w- you can't find an industry that is more antiquated and behind than healthcare mm-hmm. isn't that where you want to bring the innovation into because there's such a fertile ground for change, you know, healthcare is so painful. And and that makes it a place where, where, you know, good innovation can move the needle in more ways than in probably most other industries. And the fact that most of us, unless we're incredibly lucky, most of us are at some point going to be on the receiving end of this experience. Us, our parents, our families, means that if you have done it right the experience that you will endure yourself in a couple of years is Mm -hmm. going to be much better than the experience that was endured by the previous generation i don't i don't think there's a lot of opportunities in life to make that happen so healthcare is it so what are you most excited
2: about optimistic about hopeful about in terms of health innovation
0: um i i think that um, i think that people have been humbled over the last two years by how many sacred cows, you know, are are no longer with us. Um, COVID has, has made people understand that what was thought to be impossible is possible. What they thought was inferior quality actually created incredible satisfaction by people. That the dimensions of these technologies have gone far beyond what they were thought to be. When people thought that telehealth was a patient-satisfier, only to find out that clinicians love it. Who, who thought, who could have imagined that clinicians would love and would wanna diversify their lifestyle and have a better life balance because of this technology. So it's like an onion, it's the, or the gift that keeps on giving. Um, and, and that ties to the earlier remark that we're at the 1%, because we, we are still thinking of telehealth in terms of, well, it's now actually delivering on the value that we thought about it pre-COVID. The value of these technologies we haven't even mapped yet, yeah. and and that's where you want to be.
2: Early days, right? Early
0: days, absolutely, early days.
2: Well, Roy, I just want to thank you for your leadership to fellow entrepreneurs. You've been. Um, An inspiration for so many years to the the ecosystem of innovators and entrepreneurs and to see your progress and and everything you've built is extraordinary so thank you and uh, thank you for everything you do to give back to the entrepreneurial community and and support fellow entrepreneurs so
0: thank it's, you very much it's a pleasure this is the best place to be awesome thank, thank, you. thank you thank you so much.
1: listening to Startup Health Now. Startup Health invests in health transformers from around the world who are committed to achieving audacious health moonshots. If you want to learn how you can join this community of entrepreneurs, or if you want to connect with one of our 380 companies, go to startuphealth.com. If you'd like to learn how you can invest in our Health Moonshot Impact Fund in collaboration with AngelList, go to healthmoonshots.com. Thanks for listening to Startup Health Now. We'll be back next week.